All right, you guys, here's how you can support the show. For donations of $20 or more, uh, I will go ahead and uh, put you on, on the short list for the audiobook for as soon as it comes out. For any donation of $50 or more at scotthorton.org or at libertarianinstitute.org, uh, you will get a signed copy of the paperback of Fool's Errand. Um, and for any donation of $200 or more to the show or to the Libertarian Institute, and you will get a lifetime subscription to listen and think as well. Sign up for the podcast feeds. Check me out on patreon.com. If anybody uh, signs up at patreon.com for a dollar more, you get two audiobooks from Listen and Think Audio, patreon.com slash Scott Horton Show. And then, of course, at scotthorton.org slash donate, you can find all the links to uh, my Bitcoin address as well as PayPal if you want to do uh, weekly or monthly subscriptions by way of PayPal or one-off donations there as well and all the different kickbacks you can get, etc. Shop Amazon.com by way of my link. It's at the top of scotthorton.org on the front page there to shop Amazon.com, and I get a kickback from their end of the sale, not yours. So uh, do that. And hey, leave me a nice review on iTunes or Stitcher or on Amazon.com if you've read the book and want to review that there. That helps. And of course, uh, as always, share the shows on Facebook and Twitter and try to get them out. Got some new ones. And thanks. Sorry, I'm late. I had to stop by the Wax Museum again and give the finger to FDR. We know Al-Qaeda, Zawahiri, is supporting the opposition in Syria. Are we supporting Al-Qaeda in Syria? It's a proud day for America. And by God, we've kicked Vietnam Syndrome once and for all. Thank you very, very much. I say it, I say it again, you've been had. You've been took. You've been hoodwinked. These witnesses are trying to simply deny things that just about everybody else accepts as fact. He came, he saw, he died. But we ain't killing they army, but we killing them. We be on CNN like, say our name, Ben, say it, say it three times. The meeting of the largest armies in the history of the world. Then there's going to be an invasion. All right, you guys, introducing the great Mark Thornton from the Ludwig von Mises Institute for Austrian School Economics. Uh, he is senior fellow there. He is the book review editor of the Quarterly Journal of Austrian Economics. His publications include The Economics of Prohibition, Tariffs, Blockades, and Inflation, The Economics of the Civil War, The Quotable Mises, The Bastiat Collection, An Essay on Economic Theory, and The Bastiat Reader. And um, it was uh, he and Robert Blumen who really were very first back in 2005 at uh, calling the then-current housing bubble that, of course, popped and destroyed nearly the entire global economy. Uh, welcome back to the show. How are you doing, Mark? Hey, Scott. I'm doing great. It's great to be on your program. Uh, listen, I'm always very happy to talk to you and very grateful uh, that you would make time to come on the show. Now, so first things first here, uh, you're not really a drug culture guy. That's not your thing. Your thing is you're a capitalist economist and not just a capitalist economist, but there's, I guess, the classical capitalist economist. And then there's the Chicago school, Milton Friedman types. But you're of the Austrian school, which means you're as capitalist as a capitalist economist could get. Am I right? Well, that's absolutely correct. There's a lot of free market economists, but Austrians are distinct uh, from some of our friends in the Chicago school or the supply siders. They basically um, 
use mainstream approaches to economic analysis where the Austrians use an entirely different radical uh, method uh, based on logic and common sense and deduction uh, rather than mathematical models and uh, computer-generated statistics and so forth. Okay, right on. And so I just wanted to emphasize that point for people, especially who are new listeners and maybe not be may not be too familiar with this, who may just assume that if anybody argues for legalizing drugs, all drugs, real drugs, hard drugs, dangerous drugs, as you do, that that person must just be a roadie for a metal band or something. And then, <laughs> right. But no, so your whole thing is you understand capitalism so well that you're saying we ought to legalize heroin of all things. Go ahead and hit him, Mark. Well, Scott, our country is going through an horrendous uh, opioid crisis where we have 35,000 people dying in the last 12 months from overdoses of heroin. Oxycontin, Vicodin, Percocet, etc. Uh, and so this is absolutely horrendous. And of course, it starts with the fact that, you know, these drugs, uh, specifically Oxycontin and Vicodin, uh, pass the government's test. They pass the FDA test. They did not pass the market test. In the market test, you not only have to be able to sell your product but you also, it also has to be reasonably safe. Uh, you, you don't want to be selling a product that's just going to generate a lot of lawsuits. So in a true free market where pharmaceutical companies and doctors have liability, um, you, know, you get much safer, uh, much saner policies. And what we've gotten with the government is that as long as you can pass the FDA test, you can sell and you can sell with impunity, basically, as long as people are following the government directions, uh, they really don't face much legal liability. Mm. And then on top of that, uh, the prescription, uh, pain prescription guidelines uh, have been changed in the United States over the last couple of decades, uh, where once they were too stringently opposed to opioid prescriptions, and then they just started prescribing it for any little thing. Um, and they were encouraged to do so. And, they, you know, they were encouraged to, you know, to follow these guidelines, which told doctors that Oxycontin and Vicodin, which are very similar to heroin, um, could be used safely uh, by the general public outside of, uh, you know, direct care, uh, of it, like being in a hospital or something like that. Uh, and as a result, hundreds of thousands of people have been addicted to these drugs, and consequently, you know, well, let's just say you, you, you've hurt your shoulder or you've broken your leg, you go to the doctor, you get it fixed, you, and then you get a prescription for 30 or 60 days of Oxycontin or Vicodin. And, you know, the chances are pretty good that you're going to be addicted at the end of the 30 or 60 days, but you're going to go back to your doctor, your, your leg is healed or your shoulder is healed. They can't rewrite you prescriptions for those drugs. And so you're out of luck, basically, at that point. Your only three choices are to go through um, drug rehabilitation, uh, which is very expensive, very time-consuming, and doesn't really work in most cases. Uh, so that doesn't work for most ordinary Americans. And believe me, 
ordinary Americans, if they knew that Oxycontin and Vicodin were just like heroin, there's no way they would take it. Uh, but they're not told uh, of the dangers. So if you don't go through drug rehab, the next choice is uh, to buy Oxycontin and Vicodin on the streets in the black market. Again, where there's no legal liability uh, by the people selling the stuff. Uh, the only problem with that is, you know, a Oxycontin pill might be $25. You know, maybe $5 one week, but then it might be $25 the next week. And as a, as a result, again, most ordinary Americans can't afford to finance a habit like that. And so, you know, they they can go back to those same drug dealers and purchase heroin at uh, a much lower price than they can the Oxycontin and Vicodin. And so you've got these tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of ordinary Americans facing this choice, and they ultimately will choose, some of them, uh, heroin. And uh, the, the dangers of heroin, you know, Oxycontin and Vicodin are very dangerous and can produce overdose deaths um, and do so mm -hmm. uh, with thousands and thousands uh, every year. Uh, but with heroin, of course, you don't know what's in it. Um, you don't know what the potency is. You don't know if they've added fentanyl to it. Um, and the ultimate result is that we're losing 30 to 35,000 Americans every year. It's just a disgrace. And now explain the part about the, the fentanyl and the heroin. Well, fentanyl is an artificial opiate, and it, it's basically... Um, anesthesia it's designed to put you to sleep uh, but if you're if you're taking heroin with fentanyl you might go to sleep and never wake up again that's the problem and, and fentanyl can be a hundred times more potent uh, than heroin itself and of course the people mixing these drugs are not you know scientists these are amateurs to say the least and they're they're in the black market they're putting fentanyl there was just a story um, today about uh, marijuana uh, black market dealers putting fentanyl in the marijuana. So it's a very dangerous drug. Uh, it's what killed Michael Jackson. Uh, it's probably what uh, killed Prince. Uh, and so the so-called unexplained deaths, a lot of them are traceable back to fentanyl use, uh, used in combination with uh, black market heroin and um you know, and the uh, the amount of fentanyl coming into uh, the U.S. economy from places like China and Vietnam is enormous. It's growing. Uh, the uh, DEA just uh, found a shipment coming into the country with one million doses of fentanyl, and and so it's very dangerous. It's what you know, it's putting people over. So they'll be taking the oxycotton, they're doing okay, and then they go over to heroin, and they're still doing reasonable. And then all of a sudden they get um, heroin that's mixed with fentanyl and it puts people to sleep and kills them. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so it's just an, an outrageous situation caused by the government and the government bureaucracy, the DEA, and uh, the, the American Medical Association, which has really put these heroin-like pills um, in millions of people's hands um, and it's, it's, again, it's just a disgrace. All right, y'all check out this new book, No Dev, No Ops, No IT. It's by Hussein Badakhchani. It's about how to run your technology business like a libertarian.
No dev, no ops, no IT. It's great. Also, The War State by Mike Swanson and Wall Street Window. That's his investment advice. And when you take it, you buy your metals from Roberts and Roberts Brokerage, Inc. That's rrbi.co, rrbi.co. Buy gold, silver, platinum, palladium. These are your guys. You buy metals with Bitcoin and there's no premium. That's rrbi.co. Get your anti-government propaganda from libertystickers.com. Get your book edited well at 3tediting.com. And uh, sign up for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom by way of the link on scotthorton.org. Buy Darren's Coffee by way of the link at scotthorton.org. Get uh, parts for your mini bikes and go-karts at go-kart galaxy. Find the link there at scotthorton.org. And expanddesigns.com. He made me the great site. Um, Harley Abbott made me the great site for foolserrand.us. And he's making me a new one for scotthorton.org right now, which I'm really excited about. And you can get your own 2018 model website. Uh, get your site you already have redone by expanddesigns.com. Go to expanddesigns.com slash scott. I mean, there's so much important stuff here, and I want to get to the free market solutions to the problem uh, at the end here. I mean, you you certainly explained how the intervention has screwed up a lot of things. But so to go back to the beginning about how people are getting addicted to this, when we're talking about 30,000 people a year dying, I think, and maybe I'm, you know, being too rude and presumptuous about this, but I think most Americans actually don't care if somebody who does heroin for recreational purposes ended up addicted and dead um, they kind of think of those people as marginal enough anyway, or frankly, people who are poor and from like broken and abused backgrounds who have, you know, severe drug addictions as their method of coping with trauma and self-medicating and that kind of thing. Eh, let them rot in prison or let them die in an alley or whatever. Most, most people don't really care about that. But I think that what's really changed now that would have more people probably willing to listen to you when you explain, you know, the, the economics of this and, and, uh, and your solutions to it, free market and, well, free solutions to this, is that, as you're saying, it's not people who get high recreationally who are suffering from this. It's people who have been overprescribed, and they are, I don't know the numbers, but it seems like they're by far in the majority here, are people who are not drug abusers in any sense that they're just trying to have a good time, which is terribly abusive. Um, but they're, as you said, they got out of the hospital and then they got in a situation where the heroin was cheaper than the Vicodin pills on the market and this and that kind of thing. And um, so I guess, you know, that's the real point to point out is that the heroin addicts really all along, they never were criminals. You know, some of them, it used to be they were more marginal um, and easier to ignore, but Think of how unfair people have been treated all along for what ultimately is, in essence, a sickness. I don't know about a disease. That's kind of overblown, right? Addiction as a disease. But it's a disorder. It's a problem that people need help with. It's not a crime to be condemned. Think about going to the penitentiary just because you're sick because you're addicted to a painkiller. You know? It's insane the way that it... I start this episode off by saying, oh, Mark Thornton, the burden is on you. But how could that be? that the burden is on those saying legalize after all this. Yes. I mean, the poster child for uh, heroin addicts back in the 60s and 70s was minority, inner-city, 
um, you know, problem makers, uh, Vietnam vets, you know, things of that nature, very restricted to the very large cities and, uh, and that sort of thing. So nobody did care about those people, really. And then as we get into the 80s and 90s and 2000s, um, the heroin problem uh, started going out into, you know, suburban high schools uh, and things like that. So it, be, it started to hit home to middle America. And then when they changed the pain prescribing guidelines, uh, basically it's everybody that's uh, being affected, people with families, people in, in the community. So you're, you're talking about like fishermen in Maine, you're talking about coal miners in West Virginia, you're talking about school teachers, you're talking about football players and cheerleaders uh, who get hurt in the ordinary course of events. They go to the doctor, the, you know, the, the cast is put on and the prescription is written, but instead of you know, a, a painkiller, uh, back in the old days, you know, when they would, uh, give you very mild, non-addictive painkillers. And, uh, and now all of a sudden they're giving opioid painkillers and not even telling people, uh, what they're being given is, is the real sin. I was given a, a prescription for Oxycontin about 10 years ago. They didn't even mention uh, what the drug was or, you know, that there might be complications or problems or, you know, that it's not safe to drive and, and all yeah. that kind of thing. Now, my wife uh, is sick and they're constantly trying to give her uh, opioids for uh, ear infection or whatever it is. And it's only because she really knows better and is thoughtful about it that she always is like, no, I'll just take Tylenol because, you know, somebody with chronic pain. If you know better, then you know not to go down that road. There might be no way back from it, you know? Yeah, and you don't want to even take Tylenol consistently large doses over time because right. that's very harmful for your liver. You know, so I urge people to be really careful taking any kind of prescription. Um, they all have dangers, complications, contraindicators, um, interactions with other drugs, uh, and so I think we need to be very uh, careful and self-motivated in this area because a lot of doctors are not really looking out for us. And if you don't have a regular doctor and you're going to a doc in the box, that is even worse uh, in terms of the, the care that the physician uh, uses in terms of treating uh, patients. And, and so we're in a whole new world. And you know, President Trump just a couple of days ago finally declared a national emergency regarding this issue. And I think it's I think he's right to do that. Uh, but I also think that he has he and his team and his committee have no idea, um, you know, how to solve this problem. All right. Now, so let me tackle something you said there that I think probably sounds really counterintuitive to people. You say that the regulations are what put us all in danger. And that if there were no regulations, that's how there would be real liability. When people think that, on the face of it, that, well, geez, in a laissez-faire free market system, they can do whatever they want. The regulation is the regulation. Without that, what do we have? Nothing. Yeah, our health care and our drugs and, and all that is completely controlled by the government. There's not a, 
not a ounce of free market out there. Basically, um, they control how the doctors manage their practice. They control what prescriptions are being given, and of course, uh, so you have the FDA and the AMA, which is a government-granted monopoly. Uh, and of course, the pharmaceutical companies are government-granted monopolies. Uh, the whole thing is government monopolies of one sort or another. And so there is no free market in medicine to speak of uh, these days whatsoever. And I was challenged uh, last week, and, and you know, somebody said, well, you know, if we took your approach where anybody could just go and buy Oxycontin and Vicodin, that there would be even more people taking these drugs. But that's not really the case. Uh, as I mentioned, pharmaceutical companies have passed the government's test. Uh, and as a result of passing that test, they have a monopoly and there's restrictions on their liability uh, because of this government good housekeeping seal of approval. In the free market, you don't, uh, drug companies don't get um, off the hook, so to uh, speak, uh, with respect to their liability. And as a result, uh, drug companies have to be very careful of what they do, what they make, and what they sell, uh, because it can very quickly the value of their companies can very quickly be just disappear. Uh, you'll remember in the 1980s, Johnson and Johnson, the maker of Tylenol, uh, there were nine people killed, uh, by cyanide in the Tylenol capsules in Chicago, in 1982. And Johnson and Johnson lost 25% of its value in one week. Uh, and as a re result, they had to respond. They spent a hundred million dollars, uh, on TV advertising, telling people not to take their product. Uh, they took every bottle off the shelf and paid customers, even if the bottle was empty. And um, they went about um, redesigning Tylenol so that it was a caplet instead of a capsule, and you couldn't, uh, you know, just open the capsule and put cyanide in it and then put it back together. And they also came up with the tamper-resistant uh, bottle, and these, you know, improvements have spread throughout the entire industry now. And uh, as a result, Johnson & Johnson's stock price recovered within 30 days. And so that's what, you know, companies have to do in the free market. They have to protect their customers or they can face liability or they can just simply face losses um, in, in the stock market mm -hmm. as a result of bad behavior. Well, it's really important, so, the other aspect of that, too, where the regulation becomes the hall pass. So, hey, Your Honor, yeah, maybe we poisoned this guy uh, and his family or whatever, but we have a happy face on our report card from the EPA, or in this case, you know, yeah, maybe we poisoned this guy to death, um, but or, you know, got him addicted to something unnecessarily, but the the FDA said that we could. We're within the guidelines. As long as we're in the guidelines, that's the only question for this court to decide, and then the judge dismisses the case, right? That's right, and I love that term, hall pass, because it, it, that's the kind of feeling that companies have when they have these government protections. They, you know, they feel like they're bulletproof, and um, the free market takes away that 
that kind of uh, lack of control on a business's behavior. You have to behave. You know, and if you go back before government made these things illegal, um, you know, there were people who were selling heroin. Um, there were people selling, you know, what are dangerous drugs, but if, like cocaine, for example. But uh, Coca-Cola, the famous soft drink, originally had cocaine in it. However, it had so little um, cocaine in it that it couldn't possibly harm the uh, the customer. And, uh, you know, and then eventually they found, you know, Bear sold heroin, um, and it was safe uh, in the version that they were selling. But eventually they, they figured out that it was, you know, it wasn't a, a safe alternative to morphine addiction and that it itself was addictive. And Bear ended up pulling that product off of the market and introducing aspirin. Mm-hmm. All right. So listen here. What if I got my magic wish and I made Ron Paul the president and he said, oh, yeah, we're legalizing not just pot, but heroin and cocaine and all of it, too. And we're just going to I'm going to refuse to enforce any laws. I'm going to refuse to pay the FDA and the market is just going to have to work it out. Go ahead, market. Do your thing. What would happen? Because I know that, you know, what all the fears would be. Why wouldn't all those fears come true? Yeah, the fear, fear, fear. That's the that's the big factor. People can't uh, visualize the difference between free markets and black markets. In black markets, there's no liability, and so anything goes. And the market is driven by prohibition to uh, sell the most dangerous possible products. And the more they enforce them, the more dangerous they become. But if we legalize these drugs, it would really be a boon to society. So, for example, a corporation could sell a heroin product or heroin replacement product, um, you know, of a set dosage, which could not induce uh, an overdose death unless, you know, somebody was trying to commit suicide. Uh, You you know, if you just took the the product as directed, it, it couldn't kill you. Now, you say, well, it could addict you, but we're really talking about here is people who are already addicted. It's very difficult to become unaddicted. If you had a choice between a disease and an addiction, the disease, some kind of disease, is preferable in my estimation. And as a consequence, you know, a 30-day rehab program is likely not going to work, Um and, you know, you don't have time to fix your addiction, your economic circumstances, which are usually bad, your social cir- circumstances, which are usually bad, your family circumstances, which are usually bad. And so in order to fix all these problems, you've got you've to have your wits about you. You've got to have, you know, your ability to deal with these problems. Heroin addicts uh, spend all of their time trying to finance their addiction and find uh, a drug source. And so they're always nervous about, you know, not being able to get the drug, whereas if they were able to get a corporate-produced drug that wouldn't kill you, then they wouldn't have to worry about any of those problems, and they could set out full-time 
to deal with all of these other aspects so that when they beat their addiction, they're in good circumstances, they've, they've uh, got their economic situation, their family situation, and their social situation mostly fixed. And so becoming unaddicted uh, permanently becomes much, much more likely um, if people have access to legal, safe, um, and inexpensive uh, heroin or Oxycontin or some kind of other substitute where doctors are free to treat addict patients uh, with the product they're addicted to. And maybe that might mean tapering off uh, over time. I'm not sure what would be best in every individual circumstances. Uh, that's the role of a doctor to know. And uh, so we want these addicts under the supervision of doctors taking, um, you know, uh, rehab uh, treatment and, and also not having to worry about maintaining uh, and financing their drug habits. All right, man. Well, listen, I really appreciate you coming back on the show and paying such good attention to this issue. I actually am slightly hopeful. I mean, I don't want to say optimistic, but it just seems like with this whole new round, as you said, Trump declaring the emergency and everything, it just seems like, hey, you know what? Maybe we don't have to just double down on the Jeff Sessions drug war. Maybe there are ways that we can get through to people, especially coming at them with your approach here, you know, with this yes. free market uh, economic approach uh, to the issue, get past the emotions and, the, and their defenses in that way. And, and get to the real point. I mean, I saw a thing today where the a heroin addict lady was complaining that, well, you guys said come down here and get clean needles to stay safe, and now you close that down. And, you know, this is part of the new drug war because they're taking back their clean needle program. And sort of like, is that really where we're going to start this? <laughs> is the clean, he's shutting down the clean needles? Is where we're going to go back to that, you know? Uh, it just seems like, I don't know. Maybe we really have an opportunity here. So I, I just appreciate that you're doing this work, Mark. That's all. Uh, uh, you know, I think this is one area where libertarians are winning. Uh, we've won the ideological battle. The drug warriors are putting up one last stand, I think, here. Uh, but ultimately, we're ahead in opinion polls. Uh, we're ahead with voters. We're ahead with younger people. We're, we're ahead in more educated people. And uh, people are finding out that marijuana is not a deadly drug, uh, but in fact it has lots of great medical uses. And so people are waking up and finding out that the government has been lying to them systematically. And so I hope that this uh, war on drugs issue gets turned around and more people realize that the government lies to them, uh, is not working in their best interest, is uh, working with special interest groups against them. Uh, and so the more people learn about this, uh, I think it opens up a tremendous opportunity for a much more libertarian society. Right on. Uh, thank you very much again, Mark. Appreciate it. No problem, Scott. Glad to be on your program. Yep. Happy to have you here. You guys remember Bill Hicks said about this. He goes, yeah, see, if you evolve the idea, then... Something like heaven might dawn, which is, you know, maybe a little a little overly optimistic there. But uh, yes, it makes no sense 
to put sick people in jail, does it, Bill? No. All right. Uh, listen, everybody, uh, that was the great Mark Thornton. Check out these articles at the Mises Institute site there, Mises.org, M-I-S-E-S, Mises.org, the real cause of America's opioid epidemic. And Big Pharma makes drugs that please regulators, not consumers. Both of these very powerful essays against the war on drugs and for a real economic understanding of prohibition and of uh, medical regulation and the problems that come with them. All right. Thank you, everybody. ScottHorton.org, FoolsAaron.us, LibertarianInstitute.org, AntiWar.com, Twitter.com, slash Show. Okay, memorize all that, sign up for the podcast feed. Thanks.